Welcome to the Latinx Pop Lab Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Ceballos, and I'm so happy to have uh, English PhD student Danielle Garcia Carr with me today. Welcome, Danielle. Hi, Sam. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you, especially because of the kind of work that you do, right? Um, but first of all, I just want to say welcome to UT. I know it's your first year here. Yeah. And how are you feeling about it so far? I am liking a lot of my classes, yeah. getting to read Gosh, a lot of different theory and fiction by Latinx authors. And that is my jam. Yeah. Like, what's your favorite Latinx artist right now? Um, I am obsessed with Sylvia Moreno Garcia. Yes. I love her so much. Mm -hmm. I went to go see her. She came to Book People and talked about her book, Silver Nitrate, which I haven't read, but I'm excited for. And just talked about the research that she does behind each thing that she produces. It was amazing. She's incredible. I love her. She's one of those people that if she writes it, I will read it. And she's prolific. Like she has so much. I feel like every time I'm on Instagram, she's advertising a whole new book. Like she has another one coming out, which is like the seven veils of Salome. Salome. I don't even know. But yeah, she did say like she has another one in the works that got announced. And then another one in the works that's not even announced yet that it's already written. I don't even know how she, I don't even want to know how she does it. Like it just seems so intense. Yeah, she is. She is painfully smart, but just amazing. I love her so much. So I wrote on her book, Mexican Gothic. I love that book. A lot on that book, talking about the um, the vampire and the mushroom in that book and how they function, because mostly I'm interested in monsters. That's my area is monsters. Yes. I'm so, OK, so take take me into this. Like, what do you mean by vampire? OK. So we can get a little complicated here when we talk about the vampire, right? Because we are talking about not just like, you can think about the monster as like a physical person, something that threatens other people. Some, a vampire sucks the blood, the life out of something, right? Um, but it's also a metaphor. And if we talk about, I'm going to get so nerdy, uh, Karl Marx <laughs> <laughs> the the that um, metaphor of the vampire of capitalism sucking the lifeblood of the proletariat of the worker hmm. and if we tie that into like mexican-american culture william calvoquitos talks about the chupacabra in the very similar way as this sophisticated metaphor for the global north you know think northern hemisphere sucking the resources the lifeblood out of the global south hmm. and if we talk about it like u.s mexico context then we're talking about like nafta and how that basically robbed all of the farmers in mexico of their livelihoods and so this this monster the chupacabra is a way of like thinking about that impact so when I'm talking about monsters, I'm not just talking about like the actual like thing that is a monster, but all of the ideas behind that thing, which is mostly about power mm. and power relationships. It's interesting. I, I as you're talking about this, I'm thinking of like the mushrooms and what it did to the, the Mexican workers in Mexican Gothic and, and how it ties into that. It's really deep work. Like, how did you get to that point? Yeah, I want to talk about both. I want to talk about the mushrooms and I want to talk about how I chose this. I want to talk about the mushrooms first because the mushrooms are really interesting for a couple of reasons. First, they are stolen. They are appropriated. Mm -hmm. So there's this like cultural appropriation thing happening. But then also, if we talk about the fact that the mushrooms have the mycelia, 
which go across basically under the entire earth everywhere. And then we can talk about how it's systemic oppression, right, that they represent. And the monster is its individual embodiment, which I think is really, really cool and really awesome. But mushrooms are also having a moment. Like, have you heard of Sporer? Sporer? What is that? <laughs> it, is, it is this thing that people are talking about to talk about mushroom horror huh. as Sporer. And like, the Last of Us just came out, right? Mm, so then we see mm -hmm. the mushroom. But in these stories, it's that very typical, like, American Gothic story where nature is dangerous, nature is scary, and somehow nature also necessitates westward travel and manifest destiny. Interesting. Um, yeah, no. And so this is a very, um, in Mexican Gothic, a very decolonial use of the mushroom instead. Okay. <clears throat> Now getting to how I got to this area of study, yeah. it was almost an accident. As most great moves are for academics. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I took a class on Mexican-American literature. And in that class, we were reading Sheree Moraga's The Hungry Woman, a Mexican Medea. Mm, really good one. I love it. I love it. But everybody in the class kept saying that Medea was unlikable. She's unlikable. She's just an unlikable character. And I was like, what is, what does unlikable mean? Mm -hmm. What is unlikable? Whose metrics constitute unlikability? And when I started digging into that, I realized that we don't really talk about the explicit gender roles that we have or where they come from or what happens when you don't follow them. And so when we talk about Mexican-American culture, we have this like dichotomy of feminine behavior, right? We have La Virgen on one end of the like epitomized, uh, ever suffering, ever giving, self-sacrificing womanhood that is held up on this high pedestal. That's the good woman. Mm -hmm. That's what we're supposed to be. And if you are not her, then you are um, La Llorona, mm -hmm. which is also conflated a lot with uh, Malinche. Yeah, Malinche, yep. Mm -hmm. My homegirl. Yes. And so... You either have this impossible to meet virtuous person or you're a monster, a literal monster in La Llorona's case, right? This ghost who terrorizes uh, children and people. And people. people. And people. Yeah. 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 So then um, I just kind of fell from there into, into monsters and monster study as a way to explore how we speak back to power because as Latinxes, Latinxes are made metaphorically monstrous mm -hmm. in the public imaginary through popular culture, through political rhetoric. Um, you can even think about politicians who call us a horde coming over the border wall, right? And that is a zombie metaphor. Yeah. And so that monster metaphor justifies violence, mm -hmm. right? It paints a target on that person's back. Mm -hmm. And it makes any violence against that person justified and heroic. And we can think about um, Greg Abbott's fundraising letter that led directly to the El Paso shooting. Mm. Like his use of this disparaging and monstrous rhetoric had violent material consequences. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to know, well, like, how do we change that? How do we intervene? How do we change the story? How do we change the narrative? And I came to the conclusion that it's by writing our own and making the monsters different. So what kind of projects have you taken on so far with this, this idea of mm -hmm. making it our own? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, I wrote 
three pieces actually about different monsters Mm -hmm. in different Latinx pieces, because I came to the conclusion that there are three main ways that Latinx cultural producers handle the monster. Either they reclaim the monster. They say, oh, you think I'm monstrous? You're going to act like I'm monstrous? Well, then I'm powerful and you should fear me. Hmm. Right. So reclaiming that power that's in the monster. And the second way is reassigning monstrosity. So where typically you'd have the Mexican-American person being made metaphorically monstrous, right, in the imaginary. Instead, we're using the monster to represent some aspect of whiteness that is not usually seen as monstrous. This is the case in Mexican Gothic, Mm, right? mm -hmm. That like whiteness is associated with the vampire. Mm -hmm. And there's like direct, like one-to-one correlation with Dracula here in this story. (laughs) Like it's, it's delightful. (laughs) And then the third way is by queering the monster, by blurring that boundary between the monster and the self to show like, you know, we all have, this potential for monstrosity in us. And it depends on like the society and the context and the way that we're treated and we're viewed and the way that we treat others. Mm-hmm. So um, for the first one, I looked at that when we talked about from Shereen Moraga, right. And specifically looked at La Llorona and that story as a way of reclaiming the monster. Mm-hmm. The second one was Mexican Gothic, looking at reassigning the monster. And the third one um, I was looking at Carmen Maria Machado's her body and other parties specifically the story eight bites to look at the blob monster can you think of like a story with a blob monster in it i just think of like the the old movie isn't there an old movie called the blob there is there is but it also appears like it's even in powerpuff girls i'm also thinking of uh, i don't know if flubber would count like kind of yeah yeah and um no face from spirited away mm-hmm. where it's just this like sort of amorphous creature that their only function is to consume and generate fear mm. like that's why this blob exists mm-hmm. right so i'm looking at the ways that carmen Miriam machado blurs that line between that monster and ourselves to talk about internalized fatmesia which i make a very important distinction there and I choose to use that term instead of fat phobia mm-hmm. because I presented and they were like, but fat phobia like implies a fear and they're not scared of fat people. They hate mm. fat people. They hate them so much. I've never heard that term before. I heard it first actually applied to transmesia, mm. okay. um, like a hatred of trans people. And so I was like, mm-hmm. does it exist to talk about fat people too? Mm-hmm. And it does. It does. It's not widely used, but I'm using it to try to capture that like, hatred and violence towards fat bodies Mm, mm -hmm. um but looking at generational trauma in this work looking at disability Mm -hmm. um specifically in regards to pregnancy because Mm. pregnancy weirdly in the u.s like labor can be classified as a disability interesting but also pregnancy can be disabling Yeah. Like it can literally leave you disabled. Mm -hmm. So talking about that too, and kind of talking about um, healing that like mother daughter bond and Mm -hmm. like breaking cycles of violence. Mm -hmm. And, but by acknowledging our own kind of culpability in that cycle, like what do we do to do it to ourselves also? What do we internalize that's causing us to repeat it, making us kind of like both the monster and the hero of the story and Mm -hmm. uh i had a really fun time with that one wow that's 
that's interesting that's a lot of borders that you're crossing there and a lot of you know different things you're pulling from and and I love hearing you talk about your work I always get so excited and I do want to know if uh, where you grew up had any influence on on what you're doing now or if it it caused any kind of inspiration for the work that you're doing now because I know we share that connection of being from Brownsville yes no for sure for sure um, I'm from Brownsville and I grew up um, spending a lot of time with my grandmother, mm. right? My grandmother believed very, very firmly in like spirits mm-hmm. and like the magical, the mystical, right? Like um, if we were ever sick, she's the one that would do like the limpias with the egg. With the egg, yep. yes. I like, still do those. <laughs> and and she told me that um, that there, the tree in her front yard was a magic tree mm. and we could go to the tree and like ask it for things like... Mm. But also just believing, she believed very firmly in like spirits and spirits coming to visit and good Mm -hmm. and bad spirits. And, um, and I think all of that belief in things beyond what we can necessarily see Mm -hmm. had an impact on, on my love of like speculative, Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. And speculative fiction and the things that we don't widely think of or acknowledge to be real. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's always so interesting how whether we we have it present in our minds or not, the influence our family has on us, our, our traditions, um, the places that we grow up in. You want to tell you want me to tell you a story that my grandma told me? Yes, please. I would love to hear a story. OK, so she grew up in very, very rural Texas in Falfurias. <laughs> Okay, so like she lived in this tiny house and it was like a multifamily home. So she's got her grandparents there, her parents, her sister, right? Like are all there. And my grandma was a troublemaker. (laughs) And so they would be like, go outside, get out of our hair, go do something out there, right? So they tell her to do this one day. And she's very, very young, you know, like five, six years old. She's playing in the dirt with the chickens outside. And this little girl in a yellow dress comes up and starts to play with her, right? And they play and they play and they play and they play all day. And the only thing my grandma remembers is that this little girl had a yellow dress and didn't have any shoes on. Hmm. But she never saw the little girl's face. And she went inside and they're like, well, what did you do today? Like, what did you do? They're at dinner eating. And she was like, oh, I was playing with so-and-so. I was playing uh, outside the little girl in the dress. And they were like, what little girl? no one else saw it no one else saw her and so my grandma was convinced that this was like her guardian angel interesting huh i feel like it it varies how you interpret those like i remember as a kid being at my grandmother's house also like i remember being told that my grandmother had this best friend named lala and i will never forget i was on the porch and i saw this woman Uh, come to the gate of my grandmother's house and she waved at me and I knew that it was Lala but I had never met her because she had passed before I was born and so my grandmother's like yeah you just came in running saying Welita, Welita, there's Lala there's Lala and she was really freaked out because she's like you don't know who that is you've never met her um so it's interesting that your grandma has those stories did you ever have anything like that happen to you goosebumps goosebumps (laughs) like as you said that um, I don't even remember, to be honest. I don't think so. No. Ooh. It's always interesting to think what's out there and, and how it influences. And mm-hmm. What are you reading now? What, what's what's piquing your interest? 
So back to vampires. Yes. <laughs> um, I am reading Isabel Cañas, Vampires del Norte. Yes. And I am so excited about it. So I am probably about halfway through okay. right now. So I'm not all the way through yet. I don't really know how it's going to end yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm loving what I'm reading so far because, um, first of all, they actually talk about Brownsville. Which is rare in stories. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they don't call it Brownsville because it didn't, it didn't exist, exist as Brownsville. But they mm-hmm. talk about Fort Brown. Yeah. And they talk about the Battle of Palo Alto. Mm-hmm. And that's right by right by where I used to live. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what, what? I've never read anything like this before. But basically the story um, starts and you have these different um, rancheros and hacendados and they are sending men to go and help fight the Mexican army because the US and Texas have decided without anybody's consent to expand <laughs> their borders, right? And to take more land. As governments do. Yes. And one of the things that I think is really cool, in addition to talking about Matamoros and Fort Brown and Fort uh, Port Isabel also, mm. um, they're talking about the Texas Rangers in a way that I've never heard them talk about. Like the Texas Rangers in the popular imaginary get made to these like superheroes. Yes. Almost. Yeah. Like they're the good guys. But for us they weren't (laughs) no they weren't they were violent Mm -hmm. they stole they murdered they pillaged like they they were such awful figures and in this story you really see that Mm -hmm. because the way that they're described like it's almost like lord of the rings like the the ring race right these like black figures cloaked all in black on horses coming and bringing death um, which I think is really cool but then also you have these creatures Mm -hmm. that are vampires that are like going along the battlefield and like sucking the life out of people and like leaving them like husks. Interesting. But then also they're using the metaphor of the vampire of like that global North, the, um, the gringos, like Mm. sucking the life force out of the Mexicans, right? Like all of that is playing a role together in this story in a really cool way that I'm excited to read about. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and the Brownsville bits just, like, sprinkle happiness for me. It's so weird, yeah. Like, anytime I see reference to the even just the Valley in general, like, I get so excited because there's so much history there that they don't, even if it's in fiction, like, talk about the history that happened there. Like, you mentioned the Texas Rangers. Like, does the book mention the massacres that would happen down there? Or I think those came a little later after mm-hmm. the separation, but... Yeah, no, I haven't gotten there yet. But, okay, I was told another family story about the Texas Rangers. Because um, a lot of my family has been in South Texas, like, generation after generation after generation. Before Texas was Texas, like, when it was still Mexico. And about, like, one lady in the family who apparently, like, the Texas Rangers tried to come and steal her land. And somehow she didn't let them. Hmm. But nobody knows how it happened. It happened. Yeah. So it's like a family like myth. myth yeah kind of wow that's intense it's i wish there was more work done about south texas like i, I know there's work being done but like more within the, the realm of like the speculative yes well even if we just talked about like the king ranch mm. like they were like big perpetrators of land theft mm-hmm. but they're like this big deal in in texas right like yep so what are you what do you hope to continue working on I really want to keep digging in to monsters as these like cultural representations. They're, you know, about power, about borders. And um, 
just, I'm really interested in works specifically by queer Latinas and Chicanas um, and seeing what they're doing Mm. with the monster because as marginalized people, they are most often made monstrous Mm. in multiple ways. Mm -hmm. So what do they do to negotiate that? Hmm. Any future plans? I kind of want to dig into Anzaldúa more because Mm. the Anzaldúa archive is here. Yep. Um, And talking about like monsters and horror in her work Mm -hmm. because it's there, right? Mm -hmm. She talked like, even if we just talk about like the shadow beast, Mm -hmm. right? Like man's nightmarish pieces, the pieces he's scared of in women, Mm. right? Um, That is exactly talking about the way that like we're made monstrous Mm -hmm. and like those monstrous pieces of ourselves. Um, There's a book called Alter Mundos. Oh, yeah. And Mm -hmm. it's, all about Latinx speculative fiction. Mm -hmm. And in it, um, Catherine Merla Watson talks about how horror and related genres are apropos for understanding like Latinx experience and Latinx lives, Mm -hmm. not only because we're configured as monstrous, but because horror has been endemic to our histories Mm -hmm. and our contemporary present. Wow. I know, I read that and I was like, (laughs) shit. That's that's a lot to think about. Jeez. So you do you do this this heavy work like as a scholar, what do you do to take care of yourself when you're doing this work? It is so heavy all the time mm-hmm. because I'm talking about the pain and suffering experienced by women, by people of color, by the LGBTQ community, by the disabled community, right? Like that is all heavy mm-hmm. all the time. And so for fun, for my fun reading, I do things that are so different. I read so much romance. It's not even funny. <laughs> um, and like lately I've been watching K-dramas. Ooh, okay. Um, Which ones have you been watching? I just finished um, Not Others. Mm. And I'm now watching one called um, My Lovely Liar. Okay. Which is still in progress. Like, it's not done yet. Oh, so you have to, like, wait for it. I have to wait. <laughs> which means I'll have to binge something else. Uh, there's a lot out there. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, or even, like, romance webtoons I like a lot. Oh, webtoons is always fun to be on. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, Danielle, I really want to thank you for spending time with me. I'm so excited to see where your work goes. And I hope to keep tabs and have you back on the podcast. Um, is there anything you want to leave us with today? I was so happy to be here and to chat with you about this. I hope this inspired somebody to look at monsters differently mm. or to know that's something you can explore because I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know it existed as an area that you could dig into, that you could learn about. I didn't know there were scholars talking about La Llorona, like really like mm-hmm. digging into her, like Dr. Ferris here at yep. UT. Um, and I, I just, I hope other people know that it's something that they can do too. 